0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Bikes for Death live podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host. And on today's episode, I've got my new friend Eddie O'Day here to tell us all about the Eastern Divide Trail. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to thank the people that made today's episode possible, starting with our latest group of y'all. Thank you so much for being here today. We literally couldn't do it without you. Uh, And I also wanna bring attention to a couple of our sponsors here today. Ruby Coffee, they're not here, but they're providing all of our free coffee. So thank you, Ruby. And shout out to Torque in the background there. Uh, Andrew, right? Thank you. Andrew is uh, gonna be doing some samples of their product, not during our interview. Uh, unless you are really bored and he'll go over there and probably talk to you but he's got a wealth of knowledge Uh, he's got some samples up there free product for y'all to try out and take home also Embark Maple is here a competing brand but listen there's room for more than one podcast we can have more than one nutritional supplement yeah they're coming for each other so uh, appreciate our sponsors and without further ado let's get to the show thank you this is fun I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So first off, I want to let y'all know that uh, I would love for this to be participatory. Um, I've, ever since I started the podcast, I have always uh, wanted to do like a live podcast like this, but also it's a little scary as you can maybe imagine. Uh, But in my mind, I think it would be cool because I always ask the questions. I would love to get some questions from the audience at any point through this conversation. Uh, there is a chair right here by Rafe. Rafe is in the perfect position. He's also currently on Eastern Divide, so maybe Rafe wants to be the first person to slide over one chair and ask a question. But if you want to ask a question, just kind of quietly meander your way up, sit in this chair, and I'll point to you, and then you get to ask your question uh, to Eddie or I. But hopefully Eddie, because this is his episode. Uh, so yeah, at any point, feel free to ask some questions. But first, Eddie, how you feeling, man? I'm fantastic, thank you. Did you drink too much tonight or last night or? No, just the right amount. And how was my snoring last night? I had just enough to drink that I didn't even notice it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the right answer. Well, uh, you have recently uh, made a little bit of a name for yourself by becoming the first person to ever finish the Eastern Divide Trail, which is awesome. Round of applause for my man, Eddie. How many miles is the Eastern Divide? Uh, It is advertised at
1: 5,950. I had 62.35 on my odometer.
0: So tell us a little bit about your bikepacking history prior to doing the Eastern Divide Trail. I know you've done Tour Divide, but I really don't know a lot about you and your personal history in in cycling. Uh, So no preparation for this interview, obviously. Um, No, I'm
1: kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Came into mountain biking through cross country racing and um, if anybody caught the mini bike races last night, you realize I am highly competitive. And uh, I really enjoyed that, and, but I wasn't that great at it and I like to win. So I was attracted to longer races where uh, I seem to excel better, um, pro- progress faster, um, and that led into lap racing. Um, and as that kind of died off in 2008, nine, um, transitioned from foot racing on 24 hour races to this race that comes right through here at Mulberry Gap called the TransNorth Georgia. Um, and that was sort of my first dip into, I wouldn't say bike packing because I never treated it that way. I didn't bring sleep gear. I just thought I could race it straight through and I failed miserably. Uh, a few times before I figured out how to actually do that. Um, So it was really ultra racing that got me there. But then it was 2015, I finally decided like, I should just do this bike packing thing, like just go ride the bike for fun. That sounds kind of interesting. And uh, a buddy of mine, um, I borrowed some bags from friends and went to uh, REI that morning and bought a uh, Eno hammock and a tarp And met up with my buddy in that afternoon. We rode on, get into the night, and this thunderstorm comes on us. So we go about setting up our tent. I get my tarp up there, and he's got his going, and I'm standing under my tarp. And I'm like, BJ, these things supposed to come with straps. (laughs) And uh, and of course, that answer was no, they don't come with straps. You buy those separately, which I did not know. So I broke rule number one, which is test your gear. So I slept underneath him on my tarp, um, so his rain fly became mine. And uh, that was my first foray into bikepacking. We credit card camped the rest of that trip.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is dumb that hammocks are sold separate from the straps that you need to actually use them. It's an incomplete system from the very start. I agree. I agree. But it is a good reason to test your gear. True. I guess that that ride was the test, so trial by fire. So then where did you go after that? That was 2015.
1: So 2017, I did Tour Divide. Um, So I had tested things at that point and uh, I uh,
0: had a great run on that one. Were you uh, touring the Tour Divide or were you trying to race it? Like for you, what has been like the thing that, that motivates you to go and do you know, bikepacking or adventure racing, are you are you hoping to be fast? Are you pushing yourself? Are you looking to win? Or are you just out there for a good time?
1: At that time, I wanted to go race it and see how fast I could do it. I had no illusions that I was going to, you know, beat the guys that are at the front end of those races. But I had, you know, I, I've won shorter bikepacking events, TNGA, Hurricane. Um, so I had a little bit of confidence to that. But I was absolutely humbled out there. Um, Actual bike pack racing is a whole different game than just running really short and really hard for as long as you can. Um, The Yeah, I just kind of got shut down. And then on like day five, I lost all my money. Another rookie mistake. Um, I dropped it on the side of the road and uh, that kind of ended my mental game at the race. Um, I did get it back. Another racer picked it up um, and, got connected to me and uh but you know there's about 12 hours there where i just thought i was toast and not sure how i was going to make this huge leap up to where i could get to a western union and get cash
0: again and yeah so this massive mental breakdown and <laughs> uh so you had uh no money no i mean no ability to buy food yeah buy so, a hotel anything um i was luckily
1: i was in ovando which they absolutely love tour riders there. Um, so the little general store there, just let me ride and IOU. And they actually have rooms to rent. So I stayed there, you know, I ate all their general store food, you know, microwave burritos and whatnot. And then uh, I was gonna try to do a massive push to get to um, Helena and uh, I forget what it was, like, I don't know, 180, 200 miles. Um, where I could get money. So the, no resupplies in between. So basically try to load up as much as I can and just make a run for it and see what happens. And I'm like 10 minutes before I'm giving myself the deadline. Cause it's now pouring rain too. And I really don't want to go. I'm definitely scared of this whole situation. And, uh, and I can't bail out and get a hotel cause I don't have any money. And, uh, I get a text from this guy, Alex, you know, Hey, my name's Alex. I found your money. I am 30 minutes from Ovando and I can
0: meet you wherever along the route. God, <laughs> I was so relieved and just so. Do you know how he got at your number? Did he just like post it up on Facebook and like asking people? Um, Who knows? Are everything? you
1: familiar with MTB Cast?
0: Yeah. So, Joe Polk. Joe
1: Polk. Joe Polk. Yeah, yeah. he's just actually from not too far from here. Oh, um, he set that up in the old days on the Tour Divide or whatever it was before that, you would go to these pay phones and do call-ins. <laughs> right. And those were recorded and, and shared. So as Does the everybody pay-
0: know about MTB Cast? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, Use it on your bike packing trips. They're great to listen to. Um, also, I kind of use it as a live journal for myself because right. there's a lot of things to talk about and nobody to talk to. Anyways, I I had called into MTB Cast, gave my story of that day of losing all my money in my meltdown, and he changed the when you call in and the voicemail greeting. And I think he put my phone number in there. Oh, okay. And uh, if not, maybe a way to get in touch with him and pass my phone number on. I forget exactly how he did it, but it, that got passed on to Alex and Alex reached out to me. It was, you know, an amazing connection of community.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and what a lifesaver. I mean, I'm not sure how I was gonna do that. Um, I don't do well when it's cold, you know, and it's like 45 and pouring rain and peanut butter mud. And yeah, I'm, I took off, Lincoln's the next town, and I wanna say it's like, I don't know, 45 miles. It took me like six hours to get there. And because I could, I went and got a hotel. I'm done today. <laughs> but I'm also done racing. I feel like you get a reset after that. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of a, I needed sort of a mental reset because I was so emotionally spent after that. Yeah. And um, obviously, you know, now I've lost a day, day and a half, whatever it is. So I'm not in the race, which was good at
0: Were you pr- competitive prior to that? Like, were you in the thick of it prior to I that? I was all up in the top in, 10, top yeah. Top 10, yeah. So you were having a pretty good run
1: at it. hmm And, uh, you know, who knows how long I could have sustained that, though, because it was definitely it's a very different game than going out for like 48 hours really hard um that i'm good at this the day after day thing i had no clue what i was doing out there
0: yeah
1: um even with the the bit of slow down and doing it more like a fast tour i still lost like 16 or 18 pounds in three weeks yeah. and that you know that's not a sustainable uh, math equation i'm not that great at math but i know that doesn't work for long
0: yeah
1: did you finish i did finish yeah um in 21 days Real, I'm really glad it kind of worked out the way it did and I could get out of that competitive mode and just enjoy the rest of the trip and take all the time I wanted to take, You know, I think I took 350 pictures or so that I actually kept. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, Just tons of pictures, it's such a beautiful route. That's the great thing of that route is like every moment that you've really, you're just in the suck and it's you're just having a down moment, all you have to do is lift your head up and look around because the scenery is just absolutely stunning everywhere.
0: So what did you learn from that experience? You went in wanting to be a racer, wanting to, you know, race it, and then you were you were forced out of the race to some extent, you know, into a touring mentality. Do you walk away with an appreciation for the tour aspect of it or did that change your like your outlook towards bikepacking and racing?
1: Oh, it absolutely softened me on 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 the racing and competitiveness at least in that realm. I mean, line me up on something a bit shorter and I will go hard. But, <laughs> um, but for the, that that longer stuff, no. It, it, I came to really appreciate the lack of urgency. I mean, it wasn't like I was just out there, you know, strolling along. I was still trying to knock out some big days, but it gave me a mental space to find it enjoyable. when that head down racer mentality can be a bit draining and you miss a lot of things. I mean, these routes are, half the reason to be out there is because the route's beautiful and experience the people. Um, and it's hard to do that when you're racing really hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's one of my qualms with racing a little bit. But also you're going slow either way. So. That, that, Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> the funny I, thing is yeah, you talk about racing, right? mean, yeah. 10 miles an hour is incredibly fast on those routes.
0: I wonder if it has more to do with like your mindset, like the head down focus, like your mind is just so determined on thinking about racing maybe scotty could answer this better than us but uh but yeah no it's very much a mindset thing yeah and
1: it and you can still i I probably didn't do any more or less mileage any day on the rest of that ride but i i enjoyed it more because i was out of the race so it was a mental
0: shift it wasn't even like physically Yeah, it was
1: an internal pressure shift
0: yeah yeah that's interesting so then you, at some point, we'll fast forward, okay. but you, uh, you decided you were going to become the first person to do the Eastern Divide Trail. How did the Eastern Divide even come on your radar? When did it come on your radar? How many years or months in the making is this whole thing? Take us to the very beginning.
1: I've probably been aware of it for I don't know, four to five years. Whoa. I have a lot of friends who were involved in putting it together and the scouting and the making of it. Um, so I'd been hearing about it and it's a connection of some of the things that I've already done, like trans, Georgia and the Skyway, um, sections of the Florida divide. So I was actually having a conversation, uh, with my girlfriend, Audrey, who was, um, trying to decide, or I think she'd already decided, but we're talking it through about her doing tour divide. And she asked me if I wanted to go. And, uh, in that thought, experiment, I guess it was like, no, I can't think of a reason I want to do that one again. Um, But that doesn't mean I don't want to do something. And that kind of led me down this path. Well, what, what is that something? What could that be? And uh, I called uh, Brett Davidson, who has been heavily involved in that Eastern divide um, making over the years and kind of ran the idea by him. And, uh, Sometimes I wish I had some people that would say, this is a bad idea, don't do that. But I'm surrounded by people who are like, yes, that is great,
0: just go do that thing. Yeah, most people will (laughs) let anyone be the first. (laughs) The shitty rope swing, yeah, go forward. Yeah, The first person to dive into a deep Um, pool of water, yeah, you
1: go first. I'm surrounded by people who think that uh, my bad ideas are are great. Um, That's, yeah, basically how it came to be. He said, yeah, That sounds like a good idea and i just started moving forward um trying to put together some sponsorships some uh you know get audrey on board this is going to be a big trip and time consuming and uh
0: so from your perspective what were your like you're getting sponsorships you're having this idea that i want to do the ride what was your motivation for doing it you wanted to be the first you wanted to like what was what were your goals your motivations for for doing this route Um, that's layered. Um, so there's no one single answer for it.
1: I mean, there's, we're not going anywhere there's the selfish reasons because I want to go do it and have the adventures and, um, sort of take those lessons I learned from tour divide and that mindset and go apply it to this route. Um, I like to find challenges that, uh, frighten me and this one was yet by far the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, or ever chose to do, and uh, the but so as I did with Tour Divide, um, this Eastern Divide uh, I used as a fundraiser for Georgia Cycling Association, uh, who I've been involved with from the very beginning on the board of directors, and um, so using it as a way to grow my own community, so and and sort of putting it outside of all that selfishness, um, and. That was very intentional, um, is it? we do it as like a pledge per mile thing, like the old walkathons. And uh, so I always have this built-in motivation to go do another day, to do, you know, go do another hundred miles because that's going to be X amount of money that goes back into the Georgia Cycling Association. And I think they do such amazing things in introducing young people to the sport in a really positive way. I just built in things uh, to that ride that that made it outside of myself. And I didn't really see the other aspect of the bikepacking community um, in being the first. That was more of a, I wanted it for selfish reasons, I wanted the challenge. Um, But as I was going and the way people were reaching out to me, I realized how I was um, helping and inspiring others to go do this route. there's a guy in this room who reached out to me. and was like, hey, I need information about Maine um, so that I can go do this thing. And I had that to share, which was really awesome. Um, so I didn't realize that was going on until I was actually into the route. Did you want, was it important to be the first person? Was that part of your goal? Um, yes, in the sense that I wanted the challenge that I knew being the first person through would be. I knew the route was going to be messy. You know that there's not beta out there on it. That I'd have to do a lot of that homework and and just wing it a lot of times. I'm the way I would typically do something like Trans North Georgia or even Tour Divide. is I do a ton of homework and research the heck out of things. Like with TNG, I could go recon the route and find the the good water supplies and whatever it is I needed to put the pieces to that puzzle together to do that race really well fast. Um, and I knew this was going to have to be something different, which is going to force me to learn things. Um, you know, there's, there was guaranteed failures, which you learn a lot from those failures. Um, and there was a, there was so many failures.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but, um, with all the the routes and the pictures and the GPS files, you can take a lot of the adventure away, which is a really great thing. It's making bikepacking uh, very accessible for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I agree. Um, you can know where all your POIs are. You know what resources are there. But what we don't have oftentimes is an opportunity to truly go on like an exploration or or a real adventure where you don't know if the road is going to go through you don't know where your resupplies are going to be and so i I think that there is an aspect of that 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 is appealing uh to a certain group of people
1: yeah it's it doesn't make it any less frustrating in the moment when you run into that spot where the road doesn't exist Um, but i guess sort of standing you know, in front of going and doing that route, I, yeah, it was a huge part of the appeal is that adventure part of it. Like, you know, Tordabad was great, um, but there is so much information out there about it that I felt like I kind of knew things before I even got out there, where I, it just doesn't exist on this route, yeah. not yet.
0: How did you become the guy? I mean, this is a about a six thousand mile route. It's multiple hands involved. It's published on bikepacking.com. You know, like who owns the route? Like who do you <laughs> ask for permission? How do you become the guy? Yeah, that
1: was, there was obviously a bit of learning curve on my part to figure that out. But it's, um, I don't know if anybody could say they own it, but Logan at bikepacking.com you know, curated it and certainly put a lot of work into the scouting and um, making of the route as well. And I reached out to him I don't know, maybe 15 months or so before I was thinking about I'd actually go and uh, and asked him about first sort of just like, where, where are you at with the route? You know, what pieces are missing? What are you thinking about a grand apart? Because I didn't exactly want to like steal his thunder either. Like he's got a ton of work into this right. route and I don't want to just go bandit it, you know? And uh, so I left that conversation with, you know, like, all right. Well, whatever you're thinking, because he wasn't clear on whether he'd do a grand apart and when that might be, and so I just sort of left it with, well, you know, I'd like to be on the list for that, and then maybe about three months later, I'm realizing like his time frame and my time frame to be able to go do this ride are not going to exactly coincide in waiting for a grand apart. So I just sent him a probably a text um, and said, Hey, listen, I'm thinking about doing this in August of 22. What do you think? And he said, "Go for it." And from then on, I just plowed forward as
0: I had full permission. That's green lights. Do you know if they're still planning a grand depart at some point? I don't know. I hadn't Um, heard that. Okay, yeah, and to be determined.
1: Yeah, I have not heard anything. You won't be there, though. though. I, you know, or you will.
0: I I won't be there racing. Okay. So leading up to tackling the EDT. How well developed did y'all believe the route to be? be- <laughs> um, so, there was a big
1: chunk from Nova Scotia into Maine that was untested, unscouted. Um, it was basically done with you know heat maps and Google Maps and and a bit of fingers crossed. So the rest of it had all been um, at least at least scouted once or twice, and if not fully published at that point. So, I knew that going in i was told in the spring before i i did it this summer that um someone would be able to get up there and scout all of that um that never came to be and which i you know now you know fast forward it's like 10 days before i'm going to leave and it's like but is anybody going to make it up there no okay all right all right i'll do that (laughs) i'm the guy so now i'm scouting um (laughs) but you know i had already made all of my plans to to go and and do it at that point. So I, you know, there was, uh, there's no backing out. It might as well just be the guy that's going to scout it. Um, I would never recommend scouting and through riding at the same time.
0: How did, how did like, uh, your preparation or planning change once you knew that you were also going to be, uh, scouting, you know, were you carrying more water, food? Like how did you prepare for that unknown? Um, there was a bit of, again, mindset change, I guess. So, And I got
1: through um, Newfoundland and I had a few days, I got stuck um, trying to get off the island over to Nova Scotia. I had a few days to sit there and kind of think and I have a little reset and it's like, all right, I just raced across that part. That was 560 miles. I'm going to have to let that go now. We're going to have to put that to bed because this next section is, I'm going to have to be I can't be head down, right? Because I don't know what's coming. The route's not tested. It's guaranteed to have problems. And I'm going to have to go into this with a different mindset of I am now in scouting mode and it's okay if I can't get that 140 miles I thought I, I could do. It's okay if today is 50 miles and tomorrow too. So I just had to be okay with whatever came and accept whatever came again it still doesn't change the frustration in the moment and when it's 10 o'clock at night and you're staring at some trees where a road is supposed to be and (laughs) you got no phone signal you know so no data and you just got to figure it out and you can be mad at it but that doesn't change it you have to you know all right kick a few rocks and then figure out where this road goes to and see if I can connect it.
0: What do you do in that moment? I mean, do you, is there any kind of offloaded map, or do you have a paper map? Like, how are you, um, what do you do? Ride
1: with GPS works pretty well in those moments. Um, One of our sponsors, thank <laughs>
0: you.
1: <laughs> well done, Eddie. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, first, I have a torque gel. We're that... going to get to torque, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: really, no, that's. I mean, first thing you do is eat something, right? Because that's going to help your brain. Um, smart, smart. And, uh, and if you're, you have any down moment, you eat. Um, and then, yeah, just start consulting. And it's sort of a gamble. Um, you know, do I try to stay on this dirt route and find my way around this part? Or do I go out over here because I see it's a numbered highway and I know it's going to be paved and definitely goes through? And that just depends on how much water I have, how much food I have, probably a bit how I am emotionally at that moment, um, and then pick a direction and go with it interesting because i don't want to create extra i mean i am already have to backtrack in some
0: way yeah. and i just wanted to be careful of not running out of supplies are you in that moment i mean you are scouting are you thinking about how you can make sure this route is good for the next person or are you mostly just focused on how can i keep moving that,
1: forward that's sort of the why you shouldn't scout and through ride at the same time yeah. i had to first I had to put myself first in that and make sure I was safe. I'm in Nova Scotia, I don't know anybody. I got nobody to come, I'm, I can press my SOS button, that's a very expensive rescue and a waste of resources for me just running out of food or something. Um, so I never wanted to put myself in that situation where I was in some sort of danger. Um, so it was always secondary if I'm making the route better, but I also knew that just doing it is going to make the route better. Um, if nothing else, telling, letting no, Logan know that this section is awful. Do not use this section. is awful. Yeah, <laughs> and there was a, several of those.
0: Yeah, eliminating options is part of the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at least now there is a line on a map that goes. Might yeah. not be the best one, exactly, but there is a line. Exactly. Um.
1: But yeah, just being really conscious that I don't have a backup plan out here. There's, and and there was definitely sections of the route where that was less of an issue I you know have friends around and, and family around but up there I just felt like I was totally alone
0: yeah Tell us the scariest or most frustrating thing that you ran into during that first section in Nova Scotia
1: um, actually well before that the scariest <laughs> thing was uh, in Newfoundland the uh, there's an area called the gaff topsail and it's the high point on that route i'm quite sure it's not the high point on the island but on the route um and it's this long gradual like 60 mile climb and i was like a one percent grade forever and i like 35 miles into it i'm starting to get pretty frustrated with it i just want it over with and uh so i'm just getting after it and uh as you do on these rides right 12 miles an hour i'm going real fast (laughs) (laughs) blazing and uh but the effort level is there for sure, you know, and I'm just getting after it and I'm kind of hedged in on both sides. It's maybe six feet wide, um, pretty rough gravel. And so all I have is this little, and it's late, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night and I have my little bubble of light and just kind of zoned in on that. And there's nothing else in the world as far as I'm concerned. And then all of a sudden it is thunder in front of me and this moose jumps out and she is like six feet in front of me and her legs are just slamming into the ground. And all I, can, all I can see is legs up and down. I can't see the body, it's all above my light. And she just, you know, she's dark in color and blends into just the background. And it's just this surreal like stilt slamming into the ground. And I was still so in that getting after it mindset moment. I never slowed down. I just chased her right up the trail, which is incredibly stupid <laughs> um, and dangerous. And she, I don't know, maybe 40 seconds go by um, and she peels off and then there's a sign for a spring that I had been also trying not to miss. And so like, she totally set me up to not miss that spring which was really nice. Yeah, it was, and, and, and then afterwards I realized like how stupid I was and not, all I had to do was stop pedaling. She'd have been gone. <laughs> so like 45 minutes later, an hour later, the same thing happens again with another moose. Maybe it was the same moose. I don't know. <laughs> but this time I was smart enough to slow down and just let them let them go. But the adrenaline from that was pretty wild.
0: That was the scariest one. That, the headless horseman.
1: That one was pretty scary. Um, you, you trying to get me into the wedding story? Is that where we're no, going? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> he told the wedding story last night. It's a that's a long
1: story. It is I don't a know long have- story. The abbreviated version was: I ended up at a wedding in Maine. Um, the scary well i'll save my comment go ahead (laughs) and to not get into the whole story because it would take up the whole hour that we have here but at some point i made friends with the bride and then sort of exited the scene and i'm out on the edge and now i'm surrounded by all the groomsmen who are letting me know in no uncertain terms that i do not belong there and i need to get out of there as quickly as i can um so i after trying to explain and realizing that's not going to work, I'm like, no problem. Let me just go get my bike. Well, I go over to get my bike and it's not there. That was the scariest moment. I am surrounded by these five guys who, at any smart remark at this point, I'm going to get beat into the ground and I don't know where my bike is. Um, I did not get beat into the ground, thankfully. One um, of the
0: guys, <laughs> one of the five guys owns the campground that he was supposed to be staying at that night. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Um so eventually- small town.
1: Very small. Uh, eventually I do get my bike back right off into the woods and, and all was fine. I slept and just did some stealth camping that night. And not at that campground. And, uh, no, not at that campground. Um, and then fast forward several days later with some texts back and forth with the owner who was very apologetic. Um, he made a donation to Georgia Cycling Association. Um, so everything worked out. I have a great story. They probably have a great story. Um, and and GCA got some money out of it. Hardest donation
0: ever. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm putting my life and my my face on the line for some donations right now. (laughs) Proving once again that humans are oftentimes the scariest thing out there. Yes, yes. Yeah. That wasn't that crazy. I mean, I don't know. You told the whole story, but it's just like drunk guys, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Pinch your drunk guys, and things can get weird sometimes. Uh, what what was your plan in terms of uh, how long this endeavor would take you? Did you have <laughs> any? I mean, you have a job and stuff, so you have to like kind of push pause on live to yeah. go off and do this. Um,
1: so initially, it was advertised as five thousand plus miles. Um, up until I want to say like April of twenty two, suddenly that changed to the fifty nine hundred. So at 5,000, I was like, I think 40 days is doable. And it's also, there's that biblical soundingness to it, you know, 40 days, 40 nights. So I was like, we'll just go with that. And that's kind of my, I guess my middle goal. And then they published the 5,900 number and I was like, oh, that's a big plus. That's a, that's a dramatic difference there. And uh, so in my head, it was more like, all right, 60 days is doable. And then of course, like no, no, you're gonna have to scout a couple thousand miles, um, and I was like, I don't, I have no idea anymore, and uh, I, yeah. After that, I just was like, I just got to go into it and see what happens, and I may have to bail. I mean, the chance, there's always a chance that you're going to fail at whatever endeavor you're gonna do. Shit, it was that add to added a lot to my anxiety going into it, um, of just, the, you know, just here's a whole nother level of unknown is, I don't know how long this is going to take. Um, you know, I can be absolutely committed to finishing this thing, but there's realities. You realities. Know, I have a relationship, I have a job, I have a bank account that is not endless. <laughs> you know, so.
0: Um, you don't have a money tree in the backyard, huh?
1: No, I did have some very generous sponsors um, and it would not have happened without that. So in the end, it ended up being 78 and a half days, You know, put four or five days on the front end of that, and the travel to get up there, and then two weeks on the back end of that before my brain is fully functioning and I feel like I can go back to work now.
0: That's a long time off. Yeah. Were you able to? I guess you were able to take that time off, but I mean, that's double what you were expecting it was going to take you. So, uh. yeah, it's my bank account is not pretty right now. It's (laughs) it's a very sad state
1: of affairs. Um, Which.
0: you know, you are a bike fitter, so if there's any cyclist in this room who wants Eddie to give them a bike fit, he will bike fit you. And he'll use laser beams and neurons and <laughs> graphs and spreadsheets. I don't know. He was cool. telling me the cool whole sensors. thing. Huh? sensors. Sensors?
1: Um, yeah, sensors. Yeah. Um, yeah, and anybody listening? Um,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. We're recording and, this. And,
1: and Both. Based in Atlanta and Birmingham, but uh, I do travel. So hoping to get out a little bit more here, uh, to, uh, do some traveling and fitting and try to fit that in so I can ride in some, some new
0: places again. You should come to Texas. You can fit me. We'll do something.
1: So I've seen your setup, you could definitely
0: use some help. (laughs) 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 Is that true?
1: It is true. Actually.
0: What? (laughs) (laughs) What, what, what's wrong with my setup? This is great. I love this. Uh, you've got that saddle rolled back. Um, like tilted up? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not normally like that, but I was in a hurry getting ready. I didn't care. I was like, it's close enough. Yeah. No, it's wrong. never close enough. It's perfect or it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we ride bikes differently. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I, I want to ride my bike where I'm not in pain all the time, though. Yeah, so exactly. I'm open to hearing your ideas. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm not going to totally
1: tear down your, your bike fit. No? You want me to do it? Yeah. I, yeah. But that saddle up is going to roll your hip back. Okay. Right which is if you were to stand in in an athletic-ready position like you would start any sport, tennis, whatever, when you do that, all the weight goes out into your quads and and knees and your balance gets really narrow, which means you got to turn muscle on to hold yourself upright. Where if you get your hip to the middle of the range of motion, your balance opens wide open, and then you can stay upright without turning muscle on. So it
0: saves a ton of energy. So I'm actually a better cyclist than I really am or... Than I appear to be because my bike is wrong. But if it was, but right, you're overcoming it. I yeah. But once I fix it, I'm going to be like really oh, that's a strong cycle. What's wrong with my hands? Why are my hands always falling asleep? Uh that's part of that whole balance thing, right? Because if you're not balanced, you got to turn
1: something on, right? And nerves need blood. So if you turn all the muscle on in your arms, you're not going to get the blood down there.
0: See, I need a bike fit, and so do all of y'all. <laughs> and go see Eddie. It's important stuff. <laughs> How was your bike fit on your uh, Eastern Divide Trail? Um. Did you do a good job on yourself at least? I
1: did do a great job with that fit. Was your saddle level? Um, slightly nose down, which was perfect. I didn't have any major issues. And the testament to that is I took just two ibuprofen on that entire trip. Uh, that was on the second day and I was a little achy. And, and then after that, um, to, uh, to go back to tour divide, I think I was taking like eight a day for three weeks, which is not healthy at all. Yeah. Um, and I took steps for the, the EDT to be very intentional about not having to take any sort of drugs throughout the thing to just to keep my body in shape. Like I did not want to come out the other side of it with my kidneys and liver destroyed. Um, so it was very intentional in getting that fit dialed in perfect and me focusing on a lot of core work um, and in my own form on the bike. So that um, when I got into the ride, I could, you know, I was focusing on the right things, and, and, um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that I didn't have fatigue because it's an exhausting ride, but you know, I had no no lasting joint pain anywhere. It was pretty great.
0: Yeah. anybody else have questions? Anybody? Ray, Freddie. All right. Let's get our first audience question. I've got more. I can do this all day, but.
2: (laughs) Is it on? Okay. Um, I'm Rafe. I'm riding the EDT kind of, well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but, uh, my question is, um, how do you deal with just riding all that distance alone? Cause that's something I struggle <laughs> with.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you're very interested in that question. <laughs> um, um, inter- interacting with people as much as I could. Um, and that would ebb and flow, uh, the cool thing about, I guess, an upside to social media, I was very active on social media throughout this, like partially because it's a fundraiser and, and another way to sort of share it with a community. Um, people became aware of what I was doing and got engaged in it and would come out and meet me and ride and that was fantastic. Like those moments when I'm riding with somebody and just having a conversation absolutely flies by the downside is they will leave you eventually and you will be alone again and you're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> and there's always a little bit of a down right after that and you're like, oh, "Okay. Back to just me. Um listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh I'm, I think I'm very caught up on bikes or death. Um
0: you re-listen to them then. <laughs> <laughs> I found a few others. Um You accidentally went on another podcast recently, I noticed.
1: Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry that about would, that. Yeah, sorry,
0: this Oops. had this had a
1: hard date to be live, and and they wanted to get ahead of me. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm but the that didn't happen. back to Rafe's question. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is the takeover, but it's not all about you. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Eddie's taking really, over the takeover. Really?
1: I mean, I would have to just occasionally just stop and try to go engage with people. And it didn't always work. Sometimes they don't want to talk to you. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would see someone riding and I'd go chase them down just to have 10 minutes of conversation. Um, I tried to be careful during the day to not linger at the places because you can just totally spend an hour at a gas station just talking to the clerk because they're there and you haven't talked to anybody in a while. Um, I'd try to save it for like evenings, dinner time when I knew I could stay a bit longer. And then, um, I'd use that MTB cast hotline almost every day, um, as a way to sort of say those things. Like you're, you're experiencing so many stories, like nearly, uh, you know, you're, it's like life condensed and you're, you're getting like a year's worth of stories almost every day. And you got to get them out. You got to say them out loud. Otherwise they don't feel real. Um, so I would use that MTB cast as a way to sort of get that out. And I, I think back to like doing Tour Divide, I might call in and I don't know how long the message goes for, a minute and a half, two minutes or something like that. And he encourages you to call back if if you overrun it. And during Tour Divide, I would do like that two minutes and move on typically. And, you know, by say New York, I found myself like running through four, five, six messages in a row because I, I just wanted to talk just wanted to get that out um so yeah i guess that's my answer i don't know if it's the best way but yeah find little moments that's about all you can do
0: so this is actually interesting for people in the room everybody knows but for people who will listen to this later rafe is currently the second person doing the eastern divide trail he's three thousand miles in and five days before this event you were going to be here anyway and Uh, Maybe you say exactly what happened. I don't remember the exact details, but somehow you're like, I'll just go to the takeover.
2: Yeah. So um, I was been riding the trail for about 55 days or so, Um, and I got to um, a hostel in North Georgia um, and just was like, I'm toast, like... (laughs) completely out of energy and just mentally kind of done with it and so I took a day there and I had been seeing on Instagram just following Eddie and um, the Bikes or Death podcast that they were doing uh, an event at Mulberry Gap and just um, looking at the Ride with GPS route and seeing like the POI at the end of this section like oh, the end is Mulberry Gap. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm really toast right now and this looks like a cool way to meet some super interesting people and give me a break. And, and
0: you've been lonely and there's lots of people here. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Um, so I made plans to um, just ride slow for <laughs> five days so I could make it to the event. And it's been... It's been a really great um, opportunity to meet super interesting people and just talk through stuff.
0: So this is interesting. We have the first person to ever do it who planned to be here, and then the second person ever doing it on a whim is just happens to be here. So my question for you, Rafe, is how much of Eddie's scouting helped you in your ride so far? Are you going off of the route he established? Like, wh- where is the route coming from?
2: Yeah, so... Um, when I planned to do this, they had only released about. Well, I don't think they had any of the sections released when I was like, "Okay, I'm going to do this," and I. But I. They had said on bikepacking.com that they would release them um, by the end of the summer, um, and so I just planned to take that time off. But as it get got closer, um, they still hadn't released any routes, which like there's just so many miles and completely makes sense that they needed extra time. Um, so I was, it was getting closer and closer and then like, I think it was like two weeks before I was going to leave. I was like, okay, they, don't, they haven't released the section that I'm going to start on and so I don't really know where I'm going. <laughs> I know um, this feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and I just reached out to Eddie on Instagram and I was like, hey, I saw that you were, you've been riding this route because um, I think he started like a month and a half ahead of me or something. Um,
0: so he was still on route when you started it. Yeah. Whoa, okay. Yeah.
2: I think he was about a month ahead of me. Um, and I had seen that he had gotten some form of route, um, from the guys who've been working on that. Um, and I was just like, hey, how do I get access to this? And he, um, said, just go on my Strava page and download the GPX files. Um, so I did that and it worked and, um, it was, it was actually pretty, um, a pretty good route, but I was glad to have both his um, Strava files, because I knew that they would go through yeah and and just to be able to like check his Instagram and see like oh yeah there there's a good resupply there or,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I didn't sugarcoat the
0: bad parts either yeah
2: yeah, it was nice to know what to expect, kinda
0: mm-hmm. yeah so that's interesting. you actually started it uh, under this almost the same situation is Eddie with very little information, the route wasn't completely established. Were you also looking for that sense of adventure or some, doing something that's kind of not exactly mapped out or what was your motivation?
2: Yeah. So I think that was definitely part of it, um, to do something new. Um, part of the motivation to go on this was I had a rough, couple of months before that in school, just getting, getting burnt out on school and not enjoying riding my bike. And so decided to do this big adventure and, um, just experience everything in a completely different way. Um, so I would definitely say that, um, just having the adventure side was a, a big part of, um, the whole trip.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you're here, whether you keep on the route or you decide that you're done. It, as we've talked about today, it's hard just to start sometimes, and it's really hard to start when there's so little information. So kudos to both of you guys, and uh, thanks for being here. Give Rafa a hand, everybody. Somebody else get up there. I'm going to ask Eddie a question, and then one of y'all's got to ask a question. Uh so going into it, how much of the route did you did y'all think was done, and how much of it was a, really an unknown that would more be a scouting endeavor? It's
1: about a thousand miles um, that was going to need to be scouted. Um, it ended up being a little bit less than that, and that somebody in Maine was able to get out ahead of me by just a few days. Um, but ride and make sure it was, you know, um, everything went through. It was all contiguous, um, which was a huge relief mentally on my end to be like, okay, at least I know it goes through. I'm not going to keep running into these moments where the, the road
0: just doesn't exist. Yeah. I could see that be re- really challenging mentally to, like, because some of the routes you know are developed right it's tnga you know that's going to go through or whatever other i know there's quite a few routes that are already established but like you'd have to have these like mental mind shift changes you are like okay well today i have no idea so i have to be mentally prepared for it to be slow to you know you know turn around and figure out a new route or whatever it may be and
1: so i thought once I got into New York from there South, I was going to be golden. I had done all this homework with spreadsheets and resupply points and where the stores are and what their hours are and how far off route they might be, you know, bike shops, medical facilities, um, hotels, this, you know, probably six page document for each section. And, uh, So I was so excited to get to New York because I was gonna be ready, and this was gonna totally change the dynamic of the ride. And so I'm sitting on the side of the road, I don't know, three miles into New York, sitting under a shade tree, eating my sub, looking at my notes, looking at my map, trying to reconcile what's going on to realize that I'm like 60 miles south of where I thought I would be, that the maps that I had were not they were old working copies, not the what would actually be published. So I had done all my homework um, on maps that were useless. So basically, I I'd, I'd just had to go back to that same mentality of okay, I don't know, I, I don't know what's coming. I'll, I'll just figure it out on the fly. And um, and I some days I'd just sit there for three or four hours in a hotel room or a gas station or something, some place I'd have good Wi-Fi and. Just create a list for myself of where resupply points are for the next, I don't know, three, four hundred miles. Mentally, it was a lot easier for me to be able to do that, like be able to get going and go do my day if I knew what was coming. If I didn't know what was coming, and that happened a few times where it's just like I'm venturing off into the woods in the middle, you know, and I have no idea where the next resupply point is. And I am so incredibly slow when that happens. Like I just, there's like, you know, some old lizard part of my brain that's just like, okay, you need to conserve every single ounce of energy because you don't know what's coming. Yeah. Whereas if I know what's coming, I can kind of spend it a little bit because I know in 40 miles I can get a hamburger I can get water or whatever. Um, so what I ended up learning was that I am ultimately faster to sit and make those lists than I am if I just keep trying to plug away, um, blindly.
0: That makes sense. One more quick question. Uh, Were you prepared for that mental ping pong, like going into it or, or was that something that you kind of learned on the fly? And
1: yeah, I'm not sure how one would totally prepare for that. Um, other than I am a pretty even keeled person in general and, and especially when I get on a bike, um, I've learned a lot of those dealing with your emotion lessons from early racing, um, and that comes in real handy when things really get dicey out there. Um, And just keeping a level brain and and having the mental focus to do the problem solving um, and not to have those absolute breakdowns. Not to say that I did not have any, I am not (laughs) a robot, Um, but I had few enough to be able to get through it, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, Kenny, right? Yeah. So I'm curious the reintegration back into society. You mentioned those two weeks afterwards, I've only done one long ride, say of a week. And when I came back and had that first dinner with my family, it was like, it was really weird feeling. I'm just curious after 80 days, that must be surreal. Yeah. um, And there's two part question. How many times did you cry? Um,
1: So I'll I'll tackle the, the crying part first. And it was a, it was just a, one of those days in New Brunswick of unknowns. And the, on, the, the thing that got me was, so I, I leave this little seaside picturesque town, um, out of the Fundy Bay and go into Fundy National Park. It's gorgeous park. There's some great single track in there. Um, I stop. there's a super cool covered bridge and I'm having a great morning and I wasn't particularly rushing through it cause it's such a pretty part of the route. And I, had ridden through some of it in the dark the night before. So I was a bit upset to miss that. And I really wanted to savor this part. Um, so I had a bit of a slow start and then I carry on what I didn't realize and didn't really show up in the elevation profile. Cause I didn't dig in deep enough is I have this, like it's like one and a half miles, but 900 feet down into a river gorge and then cross the river and then go up the wall on the other side. And that, probably took me four hours to do that three miles. So that totally reset my time schedule for the day. So fast forward, getting into uh, the next town, is I didn't bring enough food to even camp that night. I, the town I was leaving didn't have like a normal grocery store of any sort of just gas station stuff. And uh, so I was just not prepared for it. So I'm killing myself to get into this town. I finally get in there and, uh, and it's just shut down. There's nothing open except for two gas stations and I stopped at the first one and uh they had nothing that looked like a meal. I stopped at the next one and you know there's no like little sandwiches, nothing like that. It's just, you know, like chips and drinks, candy bars. So that's what ended up being dinner and I I wandered around in there for about 10 minutes, you know, just if the tears didn't actually come out, I really just wanted to stick my head in the corner and 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 cry because I was so hungry and I was so exhausted and it just seemed like nothing was working out and you know and this is getting into a good chunk of that scouting bit and it's just mentally wearing on me to do this every day and uh and then the Canadians become the sweetest people in the world and the gas station guy was asking everybody that comes in do you know any place this guy can get a meal and uh the answer ended up being no. So I took whatever I could. He pointed me up to a, um, campground up the road. He called ahead to the campground hosts and let them know I was coming and that, you know, I was going to need some boiled water. And so they helped me out with that. I didn't have a stove at all. Um, they helped me out with that so I can make my little macaroni cups and, and get my dinner together. And then while I'm setting up my tent, the people camping next to me come over and He's like, hey, if you want to use my fire tonight, help yourself. If we go to bed, you know, help yourself to the wood and whatnot. So I went and sat with them um, after I got my tent set up and I'm, you know, plowing through my chips and um, the guy's wife and, and daughters had joined the, the the campfire and she's watching me plow through all this food. She starts digging into the cooler and pulling out hot dogs and green beans and whatever. And they, I I got fed a great meal that night. So you have these moments where you're really down and you just don't know what's going you know how any of it's going to work um but there is some really really great people in the world um and canadians are, are high on that list i'm looking at the the one <laughs> two canadians two. that i have <laughs> <laughs> the reintegration is i've always struggled with it after big rides like i'm just kind of in this brain fog and I don't feel like I have any emotions; like I'm just running robot, and I think that's part of that mental space I need to get to to do things that are really uncomfortable, um, and be in those moments and um, to thrive in those moments. But coming back out of that is definitely a challenge. Um, add to that, you know, I'm running on 80 days of huge amounts of exercise every day, right? All the positive dopamine things going on in the brain and blood flow and all those things, to suddenly turn that off is, I'm sure, absolutely confusing to my body. Um, And what I've I've found is actually um, exercise, is the one thing that I can do that actually gets the blood flowing, gets my brain going. Like I could sit um, at my laptop for 30 minutes will go by and I've done absolutely nothing. And I just cannot get my brain to focus on what it is I'm trying to do and make that thing happen. And, um, you know, just stop and go for a walk, get on your bike, whatever. I would love to be like out kayaking. That would be a more attractive um, form of exercise rather than getting back on my bike right now. But it's a, a little cold and rainy for it. So I kind of miss the kayak season, unfortunately. So I think this this winter will probably be a bit more hiking. and. Um, I don't hate my bike. It just.
0: <laughs> I don't hate my bike.
1: <laughs> um, I actually, I actually raced last weekend. So, and the, after that race, it was like a 70 mile gravel race. I mean, I was destroyed. I had, haven't done high end efforts in, in months, but that night, um, my sister had come in town and, and Audrey and my sister and I went out and like, I couldn't shut up. My brain was so on fire because I went and got, the things that my brain is now totally addicted to. And uh, so, uh, yeah, exercise is really the only thing I can figure out how to get out of it.
0: Uh, Scotty's going to ask our last question. and Then I forgot we have lunch. I could do this all day. So, <laughs> uh, and you yell whenever you answer. Yes, sorry. Great it's our- segue to my question,
1: because I was curious. I think a lot of us in the room have maybe done like a week trip or maybe a 10 day trip. So when you're going out and you know you're going to be months, how do you make allowances for the human side of yourself? Like, when do you know, I need nine hours of sleep and I'm going to give myself that and feel
2: good about it? Or like, how did you, did you just play that by ear? Or did you have a strategy to keep that side of you a li- in tune?
1: A little, a little bit of both, I guess. Um, I basically raced across Newfoundland. So when I got to Nova Scotia, I would, I had that moment to kind of reset. And, and part of what my strategy would be for that section is I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to get that eight hours of sleep, um, try to get that eight hours of sleep every night. Of course there's so many unknowns and I don't know when I'm gonna be in my tent versus be able to get a room. Um, I made it very much a strategy to go from room to room through that section to get better sleep. That strategy, Pretty much stuck around through the rest of the ride because I was so exhausted by the time I just left canada i 'm fifteen hundred miles or not even into it, and i 'm already tired, so I had to let go of any ideas of i 'm going to do you know overnight ride through the night i 'm going to knock out these big miles and Any time I did have a hero day um, and may get forced to push into late night just to get to a room um, or get out of the elements, I was always a wreck the next day there's you, you can't have hero days out there when you're out there for months um aside from maybe the second to last day <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna feel awful but also great on that last day no matter what you do so yeah i did have a nice like 150 mile day on that that last day all right can i tell one one more story before we wrap this up yeah everybody give me that all right thank you thank you um, I'm taking over, take, the,
0: uh, <laughs> take over the interview. <laughs> so
1: I'm raising money for Georgia cycling association, right? Um, youth cycling organization, middle through high school kids been around for nine years. And so while I'm doing that, the, while I'm doing my ride and raising money for GCA, the trans North Georgia is going on and, uh, and it comes and goes in my head. I thought I might make the start. I mean, that was such a, ridiculous ambition. I don't know why I ever thought that. But um so I'm somewhere in Pennsylvania and I'm listening to Bikes or Death podcast and he's interviewing um PJ Terry, um who was a co-winner, right? Is that co-winner. Yeah. So PJ came out of the GCA program. That's where he got introduced to to cycling, um, or at least to racing. And uh and it was just like such a crazy meta moment where I'm doing my big ride, raising money for GCA while a young man from the GCA program goes out and wins the first bike pack thing that I ever did. And I am now listening to it while riding the Eastern Divide Trail. So thanks for that moment. Yeah.
0: The circle of bike packing life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Eddie, for coming and chatting with us, sharing a little bit of your story. I actually wish we had more time, but we have a schedule to keep too. Fair enough. Lunch but, is important. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks for going out there and being the first one. You're welcome. Set an example <laughs> and giving uh, Rafe somebody to chase. <laughs> 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 thanks, Eddie. Thank you.